It has been said that every person has a book within them, the story of their life, the events that shaped them, the passions that moved them, the people that influenced them, the moments that impacted them, even the faith that transformed them. And through these stories flows joy and sorrows, disappointments and delights, countless twists and turns, all interwoven to create a never-before-told, one-of-a-kind story. The story of you. It's a story still being written by you and by God, day after day, line after line, storylines, write good things. Last Sunday morning, about three o'clock a.m. Uh, Michigan time. Well, you and all you all here were probably sleeping. Uh, Kelly and I were attending the services at the Holy Trinity Church in Headington, England, which is situated just a little bit outside of Oxford. It's where my daughter had worshipped when she attended her study abroad there. It's also where somebody probably a little more famous than my daughter attended, and that was C.S. Lewis. And uh, you know, C.S. Lewis was a famous theologian, a famous author, and evidently he liked to attend the early service because there was no music at the early service. And the answer for that is because he didn't have our worship team. If our worship team had been there, he would have been at the regular service, I guess. But we attended that service. We broke, spoke briefly with the pastor and she pointed out the grave in the back of the cemetery and suggested after we visited the grave that we go back into the house and visit the Narnia window, which I had never heard of the Narnia window before. Maybe you have. This is actually a window in the side of the church. There's three windows on the side, and this is the, uh, the middle window there. And it's a picture of uh, the Narnia scene from the books that C.S. Lewis actually wrote. He wrote about 40 books, uh, titles of which you've heard, like the Screwtape Letters, and he also wrote Mere Christianity, but probably he was most known for, not those books, which are great theology, but for some of his uh, uh, fiction that he wrote in children's books known as the Chronicles of Narnia. In fact, probably many of you in this room have actually read the books that he wrote there. But what is it about those stories that pull us in? If you're not familiar with the stories and don't like to read, and go, and they put this all into movies back a while ago too. But what are those stories that pull us in, that grip us? And what is it just about stories in general that connect with us? But what is it that makes some stories connect with us more than other stories? What is it that makes for a good story? And I suppose there are a lot of different answers for that. But the question may not be quite as subjective as it sounds because good stories are marked by certain things. And so let me just mention several of them to you this morning. And this is not an exhaustive list, but you will find these things in good stories. First of all, you will find conflict. Every good story revolves around the idea of a conflict. There are two warring factors in a story that are, that are in conflict with each other. And sometimes it's a man versus a man. Sometimes it can be man versus nature, a man versus himself. There's all these different ways that you can have conflict. But then the conflict also comes with complications. So every time it looks like the conflict's about to be resolved, something else goes wrong. And that's why you have to turn the page and you move into the next complication. And just about that time that that one's solved, well, something else goes wrong. And you keep moving through a story that way with conflict and complication. And that's where we use the term plot twist. 
It's because we've just hit a new complication and something goes in a direction that we're not exactly expecting. Secondly, there's suspense. In every story, there's that element of surprise. And it's like, okay, what's going to happen next? You also see in great stories, characters and character development. And what we see in those characters is it's often like the depth of their of their personality that really resonates. With, and the author is somehow able to peel back the layers of this person. And, and we see ourselves in this person. And thus we see ourselves in the story. So there's conflict and suspense. There's character development. In a good story, there's also emotion. And that's why some stories really, I think, connect with this more than others. is because somehow they find something within us and it's like, oh. And it just pulls on our heart, and it tugs on our heart. And then lastly, in any good story, you see what we call identification. It means something to me personally. It means that I can actually interject myself into this story, and I can experience it somehow on my own. And so when we have a story that we're reading, and, and if I asked you this morning, you could probably say, like, you know, like, what is the best book you've ever read, or the best story you've ever seen, or even the best movie you've ever watched? If I gave you time, you could think about it, but it would be because of some of these elements of the story. Well, this morning, we want to look at a Bible story that really checks the boxes on all of these, but it's a story that's become so familiar to us that we lose the elements of conflict and we lose the elements of of surprise because we just know it and we know how it all turns out. And yet, if we dive into the story, I think that the character development the emotion of that story, the identification of the story is probably something that we've never really leaned into before. And so I want to do that this morning. The story is familiar. It's told over the span of 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. And its climax really comes in Genesis chapter 45. So we're going to look at that in just a minute. I encourage you to turn there, Genesis chapter 45. That's where the, the climax is. And then when you get to Genesis chapter 50, you get what's called the denouement. Any of you are into writing or literature. The denouement is when the climax of the story has kind of come down and you take and you loose, tie up all the loose ends of the story. And you know that if you watch a movie, you read a book, it's, it's, the, the, the high point happens, but there's always those little things that you're still wondering about that they have to kind of close up. And that's what goes on here in the story of Joseph. And so what I'd like to do is briefly retell the story realizing that we're going to lose that element of suspense and the plot twist, unfortunately, because they're incredible as you go through the story. But as we do that, I want to explore three questions in this story as we look at it today. The first question is this. What are the key experiences in your past that are part of your story? Now, I realize that we're talking about Joseph, but we're talking about Joseph so that we can be talking about you. So we want to identify what are the key experiences in your past that are part of your story. Secondly, how have those moments become part of your story? Because they have. And the things that you have lived through, gone through, experienced in your past have become a part of who you are as we talk about your story. And then thirdly, how can you lessen the power of the negative in your past? And how can you leverage the power of the positive in your past. Now, admittedly, this morning, when we talk about Joseph, there's a lot more negative, in a sense, than there is positive. 
And when we talk about your story, it's easier to go back in our past sometimes and identify some of the negative things and how they've affected us than it is to identify some of the positive. We want to do a little bit of both, but we're going to admittedly land a little bit more on that negative, not for the sake to make us feel bad, but for the sake of seeing how God can take those elements of our story and somehow still use them to make us the person that he wants us to be. So here's the story of Joseph. He was one of 12 sons. He was number 11, actually. He was born somewhat after the first 10, so his older brothers were a little bit older. But when he arrived, he was the favorite. He was the favorite in part because his mother was the favorite wife. See, his father had four wives. And if you think your family was dysfunctional with one father and one mother, just try it with like one father, five, uh, four mothers, and, and at least 12 kids. So his father had essentially four wives, but Rachel was his favorite. So his son, Joseph, got favored status. And it was obvious to everyone because of how he treated uh, Joseph. But it was also obvious because he gave Joseph this coat of many colors. And every time he walked into the room, it would remind his ten brothers, Ha, you're not the favorite. I am. So this is the situation and the setting that Joseph grew up in. Well, you can imagine... It didn't really sit well with his brothers. In fact, they weren't real fond of Joseph. In fact, we're told actually, and we'll read this in just a little bit, that his brothers hated him. Then Joseph had these dreams, which just, just added to the problem because these dreams were different uh, settings where figuratively his brothers were coming and bowing down to him, and rather than keeping to himself, he went off and shared these with his dreams, and, well, that hatred would just ratchet it up to another level. And so you have this family... It's really not doing well. If you talk about sibling rivalry, we've taken it to an extreme here. And there's this hatred that's going on. Now that's all just an important setup to the real story, which happens next. Because as the story goes on, one day Jacob, Joseph's father, sends him out to check on his brother who are tending sheep. And they see him coming. And it pops into one of their heads, and I don't know which one, and we're not told, but you know what? We could solve this problem if we just killed him. Now, I don't know, you've probably, you know, in your family, you've had those moments where you just, like, wanted to, to uh, strangle your brother or sister or whatever like that, but not really. But they really did. They really wanted to kill him, so as they walk up, their plan is to kill him, but one of his older brothers, Reuben, steps in and says, no, 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 we're not going to kill him. Let's spare his life. And his plan was he was going to try to rescue him later on. But when he walks up, his brothers ambush him. I don't think we get this in the story. His brothers ambush him and physically attack him, and they rip his clothes off. And they take him, and they throw him into a pit, we're told. And their plan, you know, is kill him, maybe. But there he sits in that pit. And this is where our familiarity with the story robs us with something because we know how the story turns out. And so we go merrily on our way and we stop for, and we fail to stop to really experience what Joseph is going through in that moment. So let me ask you this question, these questions actually. Have you ever been hated before? You ever been hated by your family? You ever been rejected? Those are painful, painful experiences. You ever been physically attacked? 
uh, physically attacked or maybe even emotionally attacked? And have you been left exposed and, and helpless? In, in, in his case, naked? Have you, have you been terrified of what happens next? Can you imagine what it felt like for, for Joseph to be sitting in that pit? And as I see him, he's probably in a fetal position, scared out of his head, maybe crying his eyes out in that moment. And we miss that in the story. But it's real. Have you ever been abandoned? You ever wondered how long he sat in that pit? He had no idea what was going to happen next. But it wasn't going to be good. And we're talking about some incredibly major trauma here in this guy's story. What just happened to Joseph, I wouldn't wish on anybody. But it's not done yet. Because he gets rescued, if you want to call it a rescue. His rescue has arrived. They're foreigners who are walking through their traders. And there's one more thing to trade. They buy Joseph. They buy him as a slave. And who knows how they take him to Egypt, but that's where they go. He probably goes bound, probably goes, you know, don't think they gave him his clothes back. But he gets to Egypt. He's got to learn a new language. He's got to learn a new culture. He is sold as a slave to a rich military man, Potiphar, and somehow, considering everything that he's been through, he seems to shake it all off. And with some resiliency, he kind of raises up the ranks of, of the slaves in that day and becomes number two to Potiphar and everything starts to look good until Potiphar's wife frames him and he ends up back in prison and he gets accused of rape. This is not the life that you or I would choose. And this is the life that he's dealing with. And Joseph is trying to do the right thing. He lands in jail, and, and we just have this story here with all of these complications. And somehow he survives his experience, and he becomes number two again, this time not to Potiphar, but this time to Pharaoh. And I realize that I've left out a lot of the story there. But he's overcome this conflict in his life. But it's not the conflict of will you make good even though you've gone through bad. It's this conflict of hatred that he has to overcome. So as the story goes on, a famine hits the region and those brothers who sold him as a slave long ago unknowingly go down to Egypt and have to buy food. And who is it that they have to buy food from? Well, Joseph, who's now number two, who somehow has risen over all of that adversity, but they don't actually recognize him. They have no idea that's where he's ended up or what's become of him. And so this story goes on, and Joseph eventually reveals himself, and he feeds his family, and they all live happily ever after. That's what we feel like. Okay, it was so bad for you to start with Joseph, but somehow you overcame with it. Good for you, and, and good for you for saving your family. But I wonder if it was really that easy. So read with me, if you will, Genesis chapter 45, 1 through 15, is where we're going to be reading here. Then Joseph, this is when his brothers come to Egypt, and Joseph is going to help them. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph, and he made himself known to his brothers. 
And he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. This is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They were terrified at his presence. I think that describes what was going on there. And again, we miss the emotion of the story there. There was nothing to say because they were absolutely overcome, overwhelmed, and probably scared for their lives at that moment. And Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when he had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five, there's going to be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God, he made me father to Pharaoh. Lord of his entire household and ruler to all Israel, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt, come down to me, don't delay. So let's just pause for a minute and think about what Joseph has experienced up to this moment. He's experienced extreme family dysfunction. As I mentioned before, four mothers, two marriages, 12 boys, sibling rivalry, jealousy, favoritism. He was pedestalized as a child, and by the way, that is not a gift. If you were the favorite child, your parents were not doing you any favors. With that status, that's why we don't want to do the same thing with our kids. And he played his hand poorly even with all of that. He's gone through these harsh life events, rejection. There's so much anger in this story. There's so much trauma in the story. He's been framed, falsely accused. And when that happened, his reputation went down, too. It wasn't just that he was innocent. It's that everybody thought he was guilty. There's disappointment. There's 12 to 13 years before this story sorts itself out. And for over a decade, he deals with all of that. Now along the line, there's some successes, too, where he lands. He seems to land on his feet. And Here's the deal, though. His story is not unique because we've all experienced our own issues and our own trauma and our own challenges and our own things in our story. Many of us have gone through family dysfunction. Some have gone through divorce. Some have gone through abuse. Some have gone through messaging from your parents. Things like, why can't you be more like your sister? Or you're never going to amount to anything when you grow up or whatever. And we've gone through these things, and, and we've seen parenting issues and how they've played out into our lives. And, and from, we've experienced messaging from others, and some of you have even had these experiences from coaches or from teachers that have said things that were incredibly hurtful and distressing. And there have been the things that you've just tried and failed yourself, and there's the messages that you give to yourself that I'm not good enough because if I were good enough, I would make the team or i get the grade or i get the job or whatever like that. And we go through these things, and we have all these stories and experiences of our past, and they do affect us. But it's not just our childhood. Sometimes it's an adulthood. We've become on the, we're on the wrong end of an affair. We go through a divorce. We get fired from a job. There's so many things that are part of our story. And what do we do with them, though? 
We take them and we try to cope with them as best we can. And we basically push them down and just try to, well, let's let the past be the past. And we try to move on. And that's fine. The problem is we can put the event in the past, but it's hard to put the impact there as well. And that's what fascinates me with this story about Joseph is he was somehow able to take all of these things from the past and somehow leave them there and to step into the future without those things affecting him as much as I think probably should be affecting him. But we struggle with these things because we have situations in our past that come And they mess us up, and what they do is they cause us to act in ways, they cause us to think in ways, they cause us to function in ways, respond in ways that we just do naturally. I'm using that term a little bit loosely, but we do it naturally because we don't realize how it's coming forward. So for instance, something will happen in our lives today, and we react in a certain way, and we step back and like, why did I react that way? Part of the reason we react that way is because of what's happened in the past here. So that reaction may be a reaction of compensation. So somewhere in the past, somebody diminished me. And so my reaction to a situation that feels similar is to try to be big enough or larger than life. Or so I might brag about something or I might boast something or I might try to deflect something so that, that I don't have to feel that same emotion again. And, and you could take it, so sometimes it's compensation. Sometimes it's avoidance. There, there's a, something comes up and it goes back and, and it strikes one of these cords back here and it's like, okay, how do I just get away from this? And so we run from the situation like that. Sometimes it's protection. We do things to prevent um, something else happening to ourselves. Sometimes we just take those things and we assume that those are going to limit us, but we take these stories from our past and a lot of times I think even subconsciously, We carry them forward. We're like, oh, I'm done with that experience. But the message that comes from that experience, we take forward, and we fail to realize how much it's affecting us. One of the things I I really love about re-engage is as we go through some of this material, we start to realize how some of those stories in the back are not just affecting us, but we're affecting our stories. And one of the things that I love about re-engage is we all sit down and we share our stories And it's a fascinating thing for all of us because we start to recognize how these past things are playing out even in our our marriage relationships today. But I use it as an example because we all have these backstories that do affect our current stories. And they become our story or a major part of our story, and we see the world through this lens of our experience. But we don't have to accept it as final. We can deal with it, but dealing with it requires some level of awareness, and that's what we're trying to do today. So how did Joseph's story affect him? Well, it seems like he just kind of like just rolled right off him, but I doubt that's true. I doubt that he was like some superhuman. And, you know, for us, when we go through hard times, we run to Scripture and try to encourage ourselves with that. That didn't happen. He didn't have a Bible. We're talking Genesis chapter 30, right? Somewhere in there. You know, or we go to church and we find our Christian friends and they help us through. They weren't there either. 
So everything that he's dealing with, he's basically dealing with this on its own. How does he deal with that? And how can we? Well, the answer comes in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 15, we're going to start reading in verse number 15. And this is that term I used before, the denouement. This is where some of the loose uh, fibers get wrapped up here. But it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, this is the very end of the story now, they said, "It it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died, say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. And then notice this next verse. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning unpacking this verse. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And we see, I think, at least six things in this verse that can help us as we go back and look at our stories because this is the story of you, how do we move from this stuff affecting us, even though it's negative, how do we move this to affecting us not in negative ways, but in positive ways, or how can we leverage this, or how can we overcome this, and how can we even take some of the positives and use this as a positive in our story? Here's the first thing we need to do, though, and this is when we're looking at something that's been a, a trauma in our lives. We need to identify the evil. Joseph says this, you meant evil against me. What you did was actually evil. It was wrong. Evil is evil, and we can call evil evil. And there are things that have been happened that have happened to you in your past that, that's okay to say, this happened to me. I experienced this, and this was an evil thing in my life. Because it was. Because that's what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to ruin. He's trying to destroy stories. And he brings evil into our stories. We live in a broken world, and we are cut by the sharp edges of that brokenness. And so what I appreciate here about Joseph, he doesn't go back and say, oh, it was no big deal. He says, you know what? It was evil. And we need to be okay with that. You might have to confront it. I don't know. But you can see it as a real and harmful part of your story. So we don't need to deny it. We don't need to minimize it. And that's one of our favorite ways to deal with things in the past. You say, oh, it was no big deal. Yes, it was. It's okay, you can say that. And you can even realize that you might have been an intentional target, and, and this is helpful. Why? Not to, not to open up old wounds, but to understand why you're feeling like you're feeling, why you're thinking like you're feeling or, or thinking, or why you might even be responding like what you're responding. So he's not glossing over anything here, but he doesn't leave it there either. He goes on. And he acknowledges the source. He says, what you did to me was evil, but it's what you did to me from the outside. So what happened was not from me. It came from outside. So as you're dealing with this, realize that the source is external. Now, last week, Mark talked a lot about your story and what I would call the internal. 
Psalm 139, you know, how we were made, how we were crafted by God, and how we were wired by God. That's a lot of the internal part of our stories. What Joseph's doing here is he's focusing on the external part of his story. And so this is something that happened to him, but it wasn't from him. And, and so that's important to keep in mind. And, it's, um, and, and so these external things then shape our story. The third thing here, though, is to allow for God. And the most powerful word, phrase in that story is it says, you meant it f- for, for evil, but God meant it for good. And it's to allow for God to be a part of your story, to realize that the, the effects of sin and the effects of these things have happened to you, but that they don't have to stop there. And that God doesn't look at that and go, oh, well, this is a hopeless case. Instead, God looks at it and says, okay, now how are we going to take these things here? And how are, are we going to make this somehow a meaningful experience? And how can we bring healing? And how can we bring help? And how can we bring hope? And how can we bring perspective into this moment? And this is where we need God desperately in our stories because we have this evil. We've gone through this thing. It's come from outside. But we need God in our stories now to take it and to write the plot twist that we desperately need. And that's what he does for Joseph. And that's what he can do for you. And it leads us to this next step, though, which is simply to look for good. Can God make this situation good? Well, what's done is done. But what God can do is take this situation and he can work it for good. In other words, he can make it matter. He can make it meaningful. He can make it so that it becomes a part of your story that leads to good somewhere down the road. And sometimes, and and I think... uh, we quote Romans 8, 28, God can use everything for good. He doesn't make what happened good. He takes what's happened and says we can get good out of that. And that's a little bit different, but I think that's an important point there. But God can make it better somehow, so we need to have God in this situation. And then we could take that step where instead of looking back, we start to look forward and we focus on the future. And this is what... Joseph does in the story. He says, okay, you meant it for evil. This is a bad situation. But God took this situation, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to use it to keep you alive. And we're going to stop looking back here, and we're going to start looking forward in this moment here. We're going to focus on the future. And then we're going to live in grace. I love what Joseph says here at the end, he says, then your little ones will be taken care of. You know, um, guys, you threw me in a pit. But you know what I'm going to do for you and for your kids and probably for your grandkids by this point? I'm going to make sure that they're taken care of. Because we're going to be done with all that and we're going to live in grace now. And your your children will never be treated by me as I was treated by you. Instead, they'll be given my blessing. So forgiveness has to be a part of our stories because we can't move into the future while we're holding on to our past. 
And this is part of how God takes this, and we have these things in our story, and these things can be a real detrimental, uh, have a detrimental effect on our stories, or we can take them to God, and God can take them and say, okay, now let's see where we can take these things and use them for good. So this message this morning is about recognizing experiences that affect us, but it's not just recognizing that they affect us, it's recognizing how they affect us. In giving us some awareness to that. So, for example, if you grew up in, in a home that was a very performance-based home, where you were constantly, you know, you're, you had to do things to get the approval or the acceptance of your parent, that may still be affecting you today. And you may still be desperate for approval, desperate for affirmation, uh, uh, desperate and, and always looking to do enough for people to think you're okay. Uh, may, maybe you grew up in a place or maybe you experienced some level, uh, uh, and a lot of this is in our homes, let's be honest, but, but maybe it's like chaos. You just lived in chaos. And so now you're like, okay, I have this problem where like, I always I need everything to be controlled. Well, it's starting to understand how these pieces fit together. And, and, I'll, and, and, and hopefully that, that becomes apparent here because the things that we deal with now and sometimes like, why did, why did I act like that? Or, or why do I always think this way? Or why, why does my mind always go here? And we have all these things that we say, well, it's starting to understand what happened here, not so that you can beat yourself up, but so that you can go back and say, oh, I get it. And so that you can start to address these things and say, okay, God, how can you take this part of my story and how can you turn it for good? And you know, that, that's not to deny also that there are good things in your story too. Because we can go back to those and we can still leverage those things for good. But it's starting to realize that all of our stories are all of these experiences as they compound and as they build up. But it's not just the experience. It's the way that we respond to the experience and to let God use them and to shape them into our lives. So Joseph's story is a lot like my story and a lot like your story. And he had a list of failures, and he did, and he had some list of abuses and disappointments and injuries, and we all have these lists of these things that are part of our past, and things that sometimes we're unaware of, but they're part of our story as we become, and that's where we go back to a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the different parts of our stories. We all have a becoming. See, our, our story's not done yet. In, in Joseph's story, if you, just, if you just finish Joseph's story there, if you quit too soon, it's like the most depressing thing you'll ever read. But his story didn't finish there. It kept going, and your story isn't finished yet. It keeps going, and God is the master of the plot twist. But he can take in the process of you becoming who he wants you to become, he can take all these things and he can leverage them in positive ways. There are many biographies that have been written about C.S. Lewis that I mentioned at the very beginning. One of the most complete is a three-volume set with this title, Becoming C.S. Lewis. See, C.S. Lewis, we think of him as an Englishman. He was actually an Irish boy and moved to England when he was just a child. Of course, he moved to England, and he had that horrible Irish accent and was made fun of as a kid. In fact, you know, as a kid, every, everything gets picked on. He didn't have two thumb joints. He just had one. 
And so it made him very awkward when we were playing certain sports. So again, he was mocked and ridiculed for that. Oh, and by the way, C.S. Lewis, when he was 10 years old, his mom passed away. And he was sent to live in a boarding school. And oh, by the way, the headmaster of the boarding school was literally, certifiably going insane. And it was a horrible situation. Well, he grew up and overcame all that, became a teacher at Oxford. Um, taught at, at uh, Modeling College there, wrote his books. But when he was 58, he married for the first time. And he married a woman who lived for a grand total of four years. And she passed away of cancer. And one of the books that he wrote was about that story in, in about grief. And so we look at the story of C.S. Lewis who gave so much to this world in his theology and he gave so much to this world in his, in his books that are of Narnia. And we think, wow, how did that happen? It's because God can take the experiences of our lives and he can use them and he can mold them and we can understand them and be aware of them and appreciate them and then God can use them somehow to be calm. Who he wants us to be. C.S. Lewis gave the world a great story. Joseph gave the world a great story. You could give the world a great story too. Write good things. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the fact that you redeem our stories. I pray that this morning that as we come and gather, we won't be discouraged by what's happened in our past, but we would be encouraged by the future that you have for us because our stories are not done being written yet. You're still writing. You're writing great things, and we have the ability to write good things too. So please encourage the person this morning that needs encouragement. Please give awareness to the person this morning who maybe needs to look back and say, oh, that's why. Lord, give us determination to walk out of here to say, you know what? doesn't matter in that it doesn't control me anymore. It doesn't have to have power over me. I pray that you would give release to people this morning as well. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Release comes through forgiveness. Some of our past we just need to be forgiven for. That's where Jesus comes into the picture. He died on a cross so we could have forgiveness of sins and he will give that to you if you'll ask him. Maybe you need to forgive somebody else. Maybe that's where you need forgiveness. Maybe you need to even forgive yourself so that you can move on. But where do you need to look back and say, okay, that's a part of my past. God, I'm giving it to you. And I'm going to ask you to write a better story. And yeah, they're me. I can't get rid of them. But can you use them in positive ways in my life? Will you make that your prayer this morning? God, we look to you to write our stories.